How's everybody doing this morning? Ready to get in the book of Proverbs? We're going to be in chapter 4, why don't you turn there. If you're using a blue Bible, it's going to be on, uh, on page 529. 529. So guess what our goal is this morning? You know what we're going to do? We're going to cover the whole chapter. You ready for that? All right. This, uh, this chapter consists of, if, if, if you'll notice, if you'll look at it, it, it really consists of three individual lectures. And usually when, when we've been going through the book of Proverbs, I usually want to try to focus on just one lecture because that's in its original setting. It's, it's one message. But given the fact that there, there's a, some key ideas are repeated in this chapter that we've, we have covered in detail before. There, there is a lot of restating of things that, that Solomon has, has brought up in the first few chapters. I thought it would be okay if we maybe covered a larger section. And so we have three individual lectures, which all begin with a call to listen up and receive the instruction that is being given. And I guess Sunday morning, and we could always just have that pronouncement. Once we get to this time in the service, listen up that we might receive instruction from the Word of God. And what we're going to do this morning is each of these lectures that's basically going to function as our outline. We're going to cover one, two, three. Those are going to, we're going to cover three main points. And in this chapter, um, what we're planning to do is not cover go into much detail or focus in on the finer details. What I really want for us to do is to focus on the main emphasis of each lecture. So we're not going to be able to cover every word, every phrase, every verse, but I really want us to see the big picture as we move through the sections. And so what we see in this chapter, if, if you've looked at it before, if you even just notice now, you'll see some imagery here. And basically life is pictured as a dangerous journey. As it should be, because we live in a fallen world, don't we? A world that's full of evil because it's plagued by sin. And each of these lectures is an appeal to embrace the wisdom of God, to embrace wise instructions so that we would be well prepared for the road ahead. The road ahead. And so the title of this morning's sermon is Resolutions for the Road Ahead, because we're going to see that there are three resolutions that we must have in order to ensure that we stay on the life-sustaining path of wisdom. Three resolutions that we must have in order to stay on the path of wisdom. This life-sustaining path that God has laid out for us in His Word. There are three resolutions we must have to ensure that we maintain the right course. According to what God has laid out for us in the Scriptures. So that we might travel safely and securely. Until we reach our heavenly destination. Or as Paul worded it, as we press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, starting in chapter 4 in verse 1, read along with me. We'll read verses 1 through 5. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments 
and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. So Solomon takes us back to his childhood. When he was young and and experienced and vulnerable. And he reminds us that he also had to be instructed in wisdom. He also was instructed in wisdom. He was not born with wisdom. He did not just naturally understand the importance of wisdom and that he should pursue it. He didn't come out of the womb pursuing wisdom and being wise. He had to be taught. He had to be taught. He needed instruction. He needed guidance. And he received this from who? His father. Who's that? David. A man who feared the Lord and therefore was wise. You may recall that It was not until after Solomon became king that the Lord gave Solomon a capacity for wisdom that surpassed all other men. It was after he became king that that occurred. But before this, he was was not completely lacking in wisdom because he had received wise instruction from his father. In fact, I would suggest that it was the wisdom that David instilled in Solomon since the days of his childhood that led Solomon to ask for wisdom when God offered to give him basically anything he wanted. And he asked for wisdom? New king? He asked for wisdom. The foundation was laid by his father. Now Solomon is... What he's doing now is handing that foundational instruction down to his sons and by way of application to all of us. And here's what that instruction is. We'll read verse 5 again. Verses 5 through 9. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget. And do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her. And she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. And there are multiple commands in these verses. But they're all connected to and contributing to the main point that David was getting across to Solomon. And now Solomon's getting across to us. Here's that main point. The primary command. It's it's stated right up front in verse 5. And then it's stated again in verse 7. Get wisdom. Get insights. And the Hebrew word that's translated get literally means to purchase We've talked about this briefly before. It means to purchase. It's to get something by means of a financial transaction. And this doesn't mean that wisdom can literally be bought with money. Say, how much are you going for a little bit of wisdom today? Uh, Pay for it? No. I mean, it's a a metaphor. It's a a picture, an illustration. The point is that obtaining it will require decisive action and sacrificial effort on your part. You need to get wisdom, purchase it, buy it up. And notice what is added to this primary command in verse 7. It's repeated, something's added. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, 
get insights. And the phrase, whatever you get, literally says in the Hebrew, with all of your possessions. With all of your possessions. With all of your possessions, get insights. And what exactly does this mean then? What is he saying? Well, it means that God's wisdom is more valuable than all your possessions. You'd be willing to give it all if you saw wisdom is more valuable. And guess what it is? It's worth everything that you have. And when it comes to getting wisdom, here's the point. No cost is too great. No cost is too great. No price is too high. And back in chapter 3, Solomon stated that, that wisdom is more precious than jewels. And nothing you desire, nothing you desire, can compare with her. The tremendous benefits and blessings that, that come from wisdom have been stated over and over again in Proverbs, as we've covered it so far, showing why the value of wisdom surpasses anything the world has to offer you. And here they are once more in this message. Wisdom will bring you, as we saw in this passage, wisdom. Wisdom will bring you protection and honor. You will be held in high regard if you embrace God's wisdom. Your character and your conduct, it will be pleasing and attractive to those around you. Now think about this, that the world, the vast majority of the world rejects the wisdom of God. They spurn it. But the one who embraces the wisdom of the Lord uh, the, the benefits and blessing that it brings into their lives, there's something that is at least attractive. They can see the benefit and the effect that God's wisdom is having on your life. There's an appeal there. Though there is no desire to fear the Lord and submit to his instruction. So the first resolution is this. First resolution we need to have in order to ensure that we stay on the life-sustaining path of wisdom is this. We need to get wisdom above all else. No cost is too great. Verses 6 and 8 show us that getting wisdom involves embracing it and not letting it go. To put it back in marketplace terms, this should not be like purchasing something for temporary use just to solve some immediate problem and then you know cast it aside when you're done with it. It's like purchasing something that we're going to keep for life. Because it will guard us and benefit us for life. So we need to get wisdom and hold on to it. It's a, it's a purchase for life. Remember back in chapter 3, wisdom was called a tree of life. Compared to a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Not those, those who just pick, nibble, walk away. Those who lay hold of her, hold her fast. So, an example of, of wisdom that we are to acquire, to hold on to, basic instruction. Go to chap, uh, James in chapter 1. He, he gives us this instruction, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. You understand what that means, right? That's pretty, that's pretty straightforward instruction. Have you heard that before? Have you, uh, have you been very consistently applying it every day? Maybe not always. Maybe we have to be reminded of it. And so what is the goal? We read that. 
We understand, we see the wisdom there and what God has called us to do. We're to embrace it, hold on to it, and apply it. This is a, a daily, continual commitment activity that we might walk in this wisdom. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul wrote this, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Again, a lot of, a lot of these instructions are, are basic, familiar, but how often have we let them go and find ourselves letting the sun go down on our anger, not keeping short accounts, letting conflict go unresolved and let it develop into bitterness and turn into some kind of rottenness and affect our life in a destructive way. So we need to get God's wisdom and we need to hold on to it and not let it go. We need to get it above all else. And verses 6 and 8 also show us the key to keeping this resolution to get wisdom above all else. We need to love God's wisdom and prize it highly. That's the key. We need to cherish it. By the way, loving and cherishing God's wisdom is one way we express our love for God himself. So consider these warnings. If we don't do that, if we, if, we, if we do not love and cherish wisdom, then we won't obtain it. We won't get it because we will not be willing to make the kind of costly effort that would be necessary in order to get it. The kind of diligence it takes to pursue it for ourselves. And if we do not love and cherish wisdom, then we will not keep whatever wisdom we have obtained. I mean, you have obtained some, I would hope. But if you don't love and cherish that wisdom, you're not going to keep it because you're not going to think it's worth holding on to or worth keeping fresh in your mind that you might not forget it. So consider this. The, the commands in verses 6 and 8 require the kind of commitments that are expressed in traditional wedding vows. Hmm. Perhaps this should be our thinking whenever we hear and read and meditate on the word of God. I take the wisdom of God to be my wisdom to have and to hold from this day forward. Not letting go. For better or for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. No matter what happens in life we shouldn't expect that we will not always or that we shouldn't expect that we will not experience any challenges in life once we start applying god's wisdom those challenges will come so for better or worse i take the wisdom to be my wisdom to love and to cherish till death do us part maybe say that when you sit down and do your bible study that's the goal, isn't it? Wisdom, this is nice, uh, you know, kind of attractive. I think we should maybe go on a date or something, kind of hang out for a little bit. And, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not into commitment right now. So I'm going to try it out. I'm going to see how it goes. No, it's, it's a, a lifelong pursuit that requires a, a, the goal of lifelong commitment to growing in God's wisdom and holding on to it. It will benefit us for life. So how do we hold on to God's wisdom and not let go? I mean, you don't have a, does anybody have a photographic memory? I mean, it would be so awesome. I, it was always one of my, my dreams. I'm like, man, if I had a photographic memory, it'd be so easy. I mean, school, hello. But 
man, you got all these guys working on scripture memory, and he's like, yeah, Proverbs 4, it's right here, right here, just once read it, it's in me, I'm retaining it. I, I, most of us don't have that photographic memory, we would love one, but how is it, how's it possible for us to, with, I mean, me with my slow mind, to retain what I read, what the word of God says when I'm, when I'm exposed to that truth, how do we do that? Repetition is the key to learning. And the key to learning is repetition. We must store it up in our heart. We must internalize it. Which requires the continual discipline and effort to read and reread and study and hear and meditate upon God's word. We must be determined. We must be resolved to get wisdom above all else. That's how we're going to get it and hold on to it. So that's the first resolution we must have. And now let's look. Starting in verse 10. Read along with me. This next lecture. Solomon says. Hear my son. And accept my words. That the years of your life may be many. Life sustaining path of wisdom. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. The common picture of life as a journey is very prominent, as we've already said in this chapter and in this lecture especially. On any journey, you have to, you have to plan your course. You've got to make critical decisions along the way as to which path or route you will take. And your goal is to reach your destination successfully. So you're, you're going to want to choose the way that will allow you to travel safely and efficiently. Let's, let's really milk this illustration. So to say that your step won't be hampered means that it won't be cramped or restricted. It won't be cramped or restricted. And Solomon says here that the way of wisdom will not only allow you to walk freely but to run securely. In other words, living your life according to God's wisdom is liberating. For example, we had a, a two-part series on pride that Jeremy took us to, spiritual pride, the, the, uh, the danger and destructiveness of pride, and something that we have to constantly battle against, this tendency and just think about it. If we don't embrace the wisdom of God, that we'd clothe ourselves in humility and pride starts to well up, does life seem to go really smoothly for you when you start focusing just completely on yourself and your own feelings, your own wants, desires, and stop caring about anybody else? Look at me. What about me? Huh? So if I, if I am proud... And I'm not addressing that. Pride's going to really restrict my effectiveness in life. It's going to restrict my joy, my ability to even have joy in life. And I even, you know, I, I needed that. I need that message. Um, you know, because that can just creep up any time. And, and, and there was just a time where I just started, you know, I kind of started thinking a lot about things that were bothering me and, and things that I had concerns about. I was so focused on, on myself, and it was just kind of eating away at me, and, and really I felt not productive, and it just consumed me. And then 
I said, okay, this is clearly pride. Confess it, repent, and all of a sudden, what do you know? Man, weight off my shoulders. Things are in the right perspective now. I'm not whining and complaining like a little baby anymore. So, embracing God's wisdom means you know your step won't be hampered. Your life won't be restricted by the entanglements of sinful thinking and sinful actions. Here's some comments from other writers on on this imagery. These verses. They say the wise are free of debilitating moral obstacles that bring God's judgments or his discipline. Another one says you will not be tripped up by the obstacles of sin, but you will have ample room to walk. And another writer says part of the appeal is that the son's experience on the straight path means a minimization of problems. You want to minimize your problems in life? That sound, I mean, that sounds good to me. I'm listening. So choosing the way of wisdom will result in a life and life being less complicated for you. And I say that as a guaranteed fact. You choose the way of wisdom. The result will be life will be less complicated for you. You will navigate through it with greater ease because God's word, his wisdom will be like a compass for you to keep you on the right course. That's not to say that life will never be complicated. No health, wellness, kind of peace, prosperity, materialism preaching going on here. No, it's not to say that life will never be complicated or challenging or difficult. We actually have that guarantee that uh, it's going to be difficult. We will have trouble in the world. But here's the guarantee. Living according to God's wisdom will guarantee that you won't be making your life complicated or difficult. Do you see the distinction there? You can really make a mess of your life. In a way that you don't have to. You don't have to do that. In verses 13 through 15, we see what Solomon commands his son to do so that he would experience this liberating way of wisdom. Look at verse 13. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Let's stop right there. Wisdom is not, it's not optional. It's essential. She is your life. Again, anytime we come face to face with the truth of Scripture, this is life for you. This is your life. That's how important and urgent it is. Any other pursuit in life pales in comparison with the pursuit of wisdom. You can pursue many things in life, but none of those things could be said to be life for you. Instruction and wisdom is not something we should just dabble in. Obtaining and growing in godly wisdom is not, an, it's not an extracurricular activity in the Christian life. It's not an extracurricular activity in the life of one who fears the Lord. It's a defining activity. It is foundational to our Christian life. There are three commands in, in verse 13. Keep hold of. Do not let go. Guard. So some, some repeating of the idea in that previous section. Notice the repetition. These commands reinforce the, that, that point from the first lecture that we need to embrace and not forsake wisdom. Now look at verses 14 and 15 though. He goes on. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. 
Turn away from it and pass on. Even more repetition here. You see how many commands there are? Six. Six commands. And this is where the primary emphasis is, which leads us to the second resolution we must have to ensure that we're going to stay on this life-sustaining path of wisdom, and that's to avoid the wrong path at all costs. Again, very simple concepts, very simple truths from the Word of God, but things that we can tend to neglect or not really apply to let go of. We must be resolved to not only be getting and holding on to God's wisdom, this pursuit in life, but to avoid the wrong path at all costs. And the words wicked and evil in verse 14 are actually plural in the Hebrew here. So the command really is, do not enter the path of wicked people or walk in the way of evil people. I know that we're all in that category at one point until the grace of God came into our lives and, and we received salvation in Christ. But, but these are general categories and, and those who who fall in these categories are really, they're, they're, it's referring to those who do not fear the Lord. They do not fear the Lord. They do not receive the wisdom of God. They reject the wisdom of God. That's who falls in these categories. So that's the command to, to not walk in, in, in their way, the way of people who, who don't fear the Lord and reject the wisdom of God. No matter what their specific lifestyles are, according to God's assessment, they're all traveling on the same path. They might have different courses, but it's all the same road. It's the path that turns away from the Lord and turns away from his word, turns away from his wisdom. It's the path of rebellion, not righteousness. It's the path of foolishness, not wisdom. It's the, the path that leads to destruction, not life. And Solomon says, avoid that path at all costs. Don't even begin to move in that direction. Don't even consider it as an option. He explains why in verses 16 through 19. Look at verse 16 and 17. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. And this shows how corrupting the path of worldly wisdom is. Those who are on it are consumed with doing evil to the point that they will lose sleep over it. It's corruption. This is depravity. This is what the wisdom of the world will bring to you. They are not concerned with doing what is right according to God's standards. They live to serve themselves at the expense of of others. It's all about me. Don't care about anybody else. Now notice the word violence in verse 17. You see that? We encountered this word in the previous chapter. The Hebrew word behind it basically means wrong or wrongdoing. And in general, it refers to some sort of wickedness against another person. Violence is done when, we, uh, when, when people exploit or injure or deprive or harm others in order to benefit themselves. That's really what violence means here. And, and in verse 17, violence is pictured as part of the daily diet. On the path of those who reject God's wisdom. 
They are driven by pride to satisfy their own sinful appetites. That's what drives them along in life. And here's the picture that's being painted. Without wisdom, without God's wisdom, sin will seem like nourishment. It will seem to satisfy you. It will seem to benefit you when in fact it will be destroying you. Now look at verse 18 and 19. Verses 18 and 19. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. You see, we need the light of God's wisdom in our lives so that we may safely and successfully navigate through life. In Psalm 119, verse 105, this familiar verse perhaps to many of you, Your word, O Lord, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. However, living according to the world's wisdom, which is contrary to God's wisdom, will leave you stumbling through life in in ignorance and insecurity to your own harm and ruin. That's where that path leads. That's what it's like. No matter how hard you try to seek your own benefit and advancement, you'll really be stumbling about in ignorance to your own harm and ruin. There's no light on the wrong path. And we have every incentive then to avoid it. We must be resolved to do so day in and day out. And again, I, I, I want to remind you that these sound so simple. These commands and perhaps elementary, but it's a foundation for us and it's something that we need to be applying every day. Do you, do you feel the lure and the, the pull to embrace worldly wisdom for your life sometimes? I mean, it's, it's challenging and sometimes we can maybe be deceived because it seems like people are getting ahead and they're doing just fine. Why am I working so hard? But if I remember this, if this is my resolve... I'm not even going to consider that. I don't care. I don't care if it seems like they're prospering, that life is just great for them. I need to follow God's wisdom. I won't be deceived if I have this resolution. And now in the, the third and final section, lecture, message, let's look at the beginning of that, verses 20 through 22. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ears, your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. So again, Solomon urges his son to listen up and to receive his instruction in godly wisdom because it will benefit and sustain him in life. And here's that instruction, verse 23 to 27. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure 
Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Solomon first addresses the heart and the mouth and the eyes and then the feet. And in the previous section, he stressed the importance of avoiding the wrong path. And in this section, he stresses the importance of keeping yourself in alignment with the way of righteousness that God's laid out for us in his word. We avoid the wrong path, but we need to keep ourselves in moral alignment. Here's an illustration. I'm not a car guy, but I know a couple things. Wheel alignment is important. Right, Steve? Yes. Thank you for that affirmation. Wheel alignment is important. I did research, and when a vehicle's wheels are out of alignment, then a vehicle will pull or drift to the right or left rather than travel straight. I mean, a number of things can happen, but that's one of the things that can happen. When they're out of alignment, your vehicle can pull or drift to the right or left rather than travel straight. So getting the wheels back in alignment is important. It's actually an important part of keeping your vehicle traveling safely and efficiently. Do you see where I'm going with this? So in these verses, we have a picture of moral self-alignment. The hearts, the mouth, the eyes, the feet. We are to look to God's word as our, our moral standard. And with the Lord's grace and empowerment, obviously... We need to align ourselves accordingly so that we may stay on the right path he's laid out for us. And what does this require? Well, it requires us to examine and evaluate ourselves first and foremost. We need to examine and evaluate ourselves. Can't be like hypocrites. We can't be like those who notice a speck in someone else's eye and try to remove that before noticing and removing the log that's in their own eye. So we take heed to ourselves. We examine and evaluate ourselves. Therefore, the third resolution that we must have to ensure that we stay on this path of wisdom that sustains life, we must watch ourselves with all vigilance. And we'll watch ourselves with all vigilance. The command in verse 23, keep Watch over, guard your heart with all vigilance is the most important here. It's the most important. So we're going to spend more time on this one than the others. And why is it the most important? Well, we have this statement, for from it flow the springs of life. The heart, in the Hebrew language, refers primarily to the mind. It's to the mind. It's your inner person, which includes your thoughts and your desires. So the command is that we must guard and be guarding our mind with all vigilance. That's essentially what it's saying. So then we have this statement, for from it flow the springs of life. Try not to say that too fast. For from it flow the springs of life. The Hebrew literally says, for from it are, are the outgoings of life. From it are the outgoings of life. This, this expression basically means that our actions flow from our heart, from our minds. 
Our external behavior is directed by our thinking and our desires. That's what you trace it back to. And the world says, follow your heart. <laughs> Wisdom says, guard your heart. Keep it under guard. Watch over it. The Lord Jesus said, out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile the person. Evil thoughts are what precede evil behavior and evil speech. James explained that each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You ever hear that excuse? The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. Granted, we know that our adversary is an enemy of our souls, but how does he, how does he try to cause you to stumble? He wants to appeal to the desires that are here, the, the evil desires that can well up within us. And it's by our own evil desire that we're lured away and enticed. And the Apostle Paul speaks of the danger of leaving our hearts unchecked in the book of Romans. Although he makes it clear that, that through faith in Christ, we've been set free from the enslaving power of sin. Yes, we have. He also warns in Romans 6.13, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. We must guard our hearts. Now how do we do this? Well, we've mentioned it before. We must let the word of God dwell in us richly so that we're not conformed to the pattern of this world, but renewed or transformed by the renewal of our minds. Romans 12, 2. You're transformed by the renewal of your mind. It starts in here. We must be aligning our thoughts and desires with the truth of God's wisdom, with the truth of his word. Psalm 119 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? Thankfully, he had an answer. By guarding it according to your word. And then he later says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Guarding his heart by means of the word of God. So in our growth groups, we're studying Colossians. In our last meeting, one of the things we looked at was Paul's prayer for the Colossians. Paul prayed this in his letter to the Colossians, that they would be filled. Be filled with what? The knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. How do we get to a point where we're 
we're traveling on the path of wisdom and walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, we need to be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It starts in the mind. Also, in our, our men's study this past week, we covered chapter 4 in the book, Disciplines of a Godly Man. Chapter 4, entitled, Discipline of the Mind. Discipline of the Mind. If I had to take one chapter out of that book and say, I'm going to read this regularly. Which one do I think is absolutely critical that, um, that is just so familiar to me that I have to recall? It's Discipline of the Mind, chapter 4. He says this in this chapter. You must remember this. You can never... Uh, excuse me? Never? Absolute <laughs> statement? I would say he's absolutely right. You can never have a Christian mind without reading or you know being exposed to and in taking the scriptures regularly because you cannot be profoundly influenced by that which you do not know if you are filled with god's word your life can then be informed and directed by god by the way the the spirit of god operates in conjunction with the word of god so that you will walk in the Spirit. He doesn't work apart from it. We can't be spiritual apart from the Word of God dwelling in us richly, in our minds, engaging our, our thinking and applying it. If you're filled with God's Word, your life can then be informed and directed by God. Your domestic relationships, your child-rearing, your career, your ethical decisions, your interior Moral life, the way to a Christian mind is through God's word. Do you think God's trying to tell some of Bible church something? Growth groups, men's group, ladies, I'm assuming something probably somewhere along those lines. But isn't he driving us to hunger and thirst for his word, his truth, his wisdom? There are some stirrings. Some people who are starting to have some accountability and with, with friends and, and, and holding each other accountable to say, did you get in the word of God today? Because there are a lot of books, there are endless books out there, but we can't neglect the primary source, the fountainhead of, of God's wisdom for our lives. It's, it's his word. Utmost importance for us to be in it. Look back at verses 24 through 27. If we guard our hearts... By means of the word of God and the power of the spirit of God, then we will be more equipped and conditioned to align other areas of our life. That's why I wanted to focus on that command the most. We start with the heart. We start with the mind, guarding it by means of the word of God. Then we can address these other areas and align them accordingly. Verse 24. We must not tolerate crooked, ungodly speech. What is that? Well, lying, gossip, slander, anything that would be characteristic of someone who doesn't fear the Lord. But you are capable of participating in. We must not tolerate it. We should not practice it. And we should not listen to it. We must keep it far away from us. So it's not just, don't do it. But, but don't tolerate it. Put it far away from you. That also means... Don't, don't give heed to it. Don't, don't listen to that kind of stuff from anyone else either. 
Remove yourself from that. Don't tolerate it. Verse 25, we must have our eyes looking directly forward and our, our gaze being straight ahead, meaning we must have the right focus as we journey through life. What is your focus? What are you fixated on? One proverb says the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth, but the discerning sets his face toward wisdom. In the book of Hebrews, we're exhorted to run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the one who is perfect in wisdom. And in 1 Corinthians, he is our wisdom. He is wisdom to us. Fix your eyes on him. Fix your eyes on his wisdom. Fix your eyes on his example, by the way. We're hearing a lot from the man that God gifted with wisdom beyond capacity of any human being in the history of the world until Christ came, who is perfect in wisdom, and you look at his life. That's what wisdom applied in a life looks like. You look to the example of Christ. Fix your eyes on him. Verse 26, we must ponder the path of our feet. And the assumption here is that we are already on the straight path. And we could say that in a categorical sense, if, if you are standing in grace, you are in Christ, then yes, you are, you are in essence, on the, the, the path of wisdom, but you're still exhorted to diligently stay on that path. Because again, you have the ability to choose folly, to choose sin, even though you're not enslaved to it anymore. So, the assumption is that we're already on the right path, which is on the straight path, which is why Solomon says, don't swerve to the right or to the left. And we must carefully consider the steps we're taking in life, and that's you know, what we mean by that. We're talking about our decisions. Are you placing your foot? Where do I decide to place my foot? We've got to carefully consider our decisions, the steps we're taking in life, in order to ensure that they are continually turning away from evil and staying on the path of wisdom. So again, daily application you think through what you are about to do and, and make sure that it is, it is according to God's wisdom. It is something that is honoring the Lord. And is, you know, if we think before we speak, if we think before we act, we have an opportunity to align ourselves so that we might walk properly, rightly, in the way of wisdom. So there's only one path in life that God blesses. And that's the path he's laid out for us in his word. That's the only path in life that God blesses. It's the path of wisdom. Be resolved, be determined, be committed to getting wisdom above all else. Avoiding the wrong path at all costs and watching yourself, watching yourself with all vigilance, especially your heart, especially your mind. Let's pray. Father, your word, your wisdom is a light for us in this spiritually darkened world. You have shown us that we can keep our way pure by guarding it according to your word. Help us to store up your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Teach us your statutes. May we delight in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches, even more than all riches. 
Help us to meditate on your precepts and fix our eyes on your ways. May we delight in your statutes and not forget your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.